From the orbiting observatory nearly six million miles out from the giant world, the meteorologist sent down the latest weather information to the stranded Mescalinite landship. Don Dragmer, you should have about 19 hours of reduced visibility. The temperature is going down and the fog will change to ammonia crystals. In about five hours, the temperature will be a lot lower, so you don't have to worry about melting. The next instant, he wished he could somehow outrace and stop the radio waves that would carry his confident prediction to the Mescalinite captain in 32 seconds. For Don Dragmer was on the screen talking urgently. Please get a special report to Bar-Lennon. The temperature has gone up six degrees to 103. The ice has melted from the windows, and we're afloat. Chapter 1. Pit Stop Beecher Marl felt the vibrations die out as his vehicle came to a halt, but instinctively looked outside before releasing the Quembley's helm. It was wasted effort, of course. The sun, or rather the body he was trying to think of as the sun, had set nearly twenty hours before. The sky was still too bright for stars to be seen, but not bright enough to show details on the almost featureless dusty snowfield around him. Behind, which was the only direction he could not see from the center of the bridge, the Quembley's trail might have provided some visual reference, but from his post at the helm there was no clue to his speed. The captain, stretched out on his platform above and behind the helmsman, interpreted correctly the latter's raised head. If he was amused, he concealed the fact. With nearly two human lifetimes spent on Mescaline's unpredictable oceans, he had never learned to like uncertainty, merely to live with it. Commanding a vessel he did not fully understand, traveling on land instead of sea and knowing that his home world was over three parsecs away, did nothing to bolster his own self-confidence, and he sympathized fully with the youngster's lack of it. We're stopped, helmsman. Secure and start your hundred-hour maintenance check. We'll stay here for ten hours. Yes, sir. Beecher Marlf slipped the helm into its locking notch. A glance at the clock told him that over an hour of his watch remained, so he began checking the cables which connected the steering bar with the Quembley's forward trucks. The lines were visible enough, since no effort had been made to conceal essential machinery behind walls. The builders of the huge vehicle and her eleven sister ships had not been concerned with appearance. It took only a few seconds to make sure that the few inches of cable above the bridge deck were still free of wear. The helmsman gestured an all's well to the captain, rapped on the deck for clearance, waited for acknowledgment from below, opened the starboard trap, and vanished down the ramp to continue his inspection. Don Dragmer watched him go with no great concern. His worries were elsewhere, and the helmsman was a dependable sailor. He put the steering problem from his mind for the moment and reared the front portion of his eighteen-inch body upward until his head was level with the speaking tubes. A siren-like wail which could have been heard over one of Mesklin's typhoons and was almost ridiculous in the silence of Duran's snowfield secured the attention of the rest of the crew. This is the captain. Ten hours halt for maintenance check. Watch on duty get started. Research personnel follow your usual routine, being sure to check with the bridge before going outside. No flying until the scouts have been overhauled. Power distribution acknowledge. Power checking. The voice from the speaking tube was a little deeper than Don Dragmer's. Life support acknowledge. Life support checking. Communication acknowledge. Checking. Curvencer to the bridge for standby. I'm going outside. Research give me outside conditions. One moment, Captain. The pause was brief before the voice resumed. 
Temperature 77, pressure 26.1, wind from 21, steady at 200 cables per hour, oxygen fraction standard at 0.0122.